Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put UF at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports, and we can't be left behind. In this talent acquisition business, NIL will play a huge role in Florida returning to the elite status in college football. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Not a lot of sleep. Coming back from Gainesville after the spring game to help me break it all down. Got the duo, got the pairing back together. Co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, Read and Reaction. Dot com on YouTube at Read and Reaction, where him and Nick Newton have a uh, video, quick little recap of the spring game. Uh, so be sure to check that out right after this, but also check out Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, we got some real football under Billy Napier for the first time. And the team in his image, we finally got to see. Look, it was orange versus blue, but man, it would, uh, what, what a great sight to see uh, Billy Napier's first team out there under the lights in the spring game Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome, right? I mean, or at least it was awesome to see the blue side's offense. That was, that was maybe <laughs> the, the, the highlight of the game. But, you know, we've been, we've been waiting for this, right? We've been waiting to see how are these guys going to fit. Um, you know, is AR going to be able to pick up the offense relatively quickly? You know, has he gotten more accurate in the offseason? Um, all the different things that I think are and, – and really, I guess, I guess one of the things I was looking for is can that first team set of wide receivers get some separation against – ostensibly the first team defense and i think we got some answers there i think there's still some jury is out on a few of those things too but that's what you always expect coming out of the spring game more than anything this was a real game 
um, yeah. a real environment. You know, I some of my family was there. You were obviously there. Um, you know, it looked like a pretty decent crowd there for for a Thursday night game in Gainesville. Yeah. And obviously the 300 recruits or whatever it was that they had in there in the swamp. Um, you know, we've been asking for a guy who's going to prioritize recruiting for a while. And I think this event sort of crystallizes that. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have football back. That's for sure. Yeah, I saw Katie Turner after the game. I think it was 317, I think was the number there. So uh, that was, uh, you know, probably plus or minus a few as well. But uh, that's been already uh, busy, man. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So, man, that was nice to see. They they moved where they sit. They weren't sitting in the end zone. They moved them to uh, the alumni side and had a nice little section for them. Uh, and I know that had come out yesterday in um, a Richard Johnson article for Sports Illustrated about they may be moving where the recruits sit for games. Well, might have got our first glimpse of that. I don't think it'll be like that for a regular season game. I think they'll figure that out with the new stadium renovations. They might do something different. Uh, but they did move them for the uh, uh, the spring game yesterday. So nice little uh, touch there uh, for the Gators. I believe they had former players and all the uh, former players who I saw right there. I was at the Gator Walk, Will, before the game, and I saw all the former players that were there uh, as well, Martez Ivy and um, – uh, Josh Hammond, or I mean, Frankie Hammond, uh, were, were there just a couple that I saw. Uh, the Townsend, um, uh, I believe it was, I don't remember which one it was, but anyway, I saw his tailgate there, uh, go, going on. Uh, so that, I mean, plenty of former Gators, a lot of recruits, uh, a lot of energy there. Uh, you can go check my Twitter profile. I had uh, Billy Napier's first Gator walk, Anthony Richardson as well, DeWan Black signing autographs. Uh, I saw many, many Gators Breakdown listeners there. So first off, thank you so much for stopping, saying hello, keeping the conversation. Will got asked plenty of times, where's Will at? I was like, well, you know, the Thursday night, first of all, threw it off to as well. And then, of course, I was like, a lot of people, Will, still don't realize you're up in Philadelphia. You know, you're not in Florida. So it would have been a tough trip there. So I did get plenty of questions uh, where, where you were at as well. But every one of you, uh, countless people, thank you so much for stopping, saying hello. I had a not, nice conversation with a lot of you there. Thank you so much for, for, for being a part of this uh, and saying hello there. But, uh, yeah, well, it was, uh, as you mentioned, 40, 45,000 people recruits. I mean, it was a really good atmosphere, and especially for that Thursday night move. Yeah, well, so the Miles family was well represented. My parents went to the game as well as my sister and my nephew. So uh, we, we, and then, so I was there in spirit, but like you mentioned, coming down for the spring game um, is, is a rough sell in the middle of April with baseball season, four kids limited Philly. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll be down there. I'm hoping to get down for the Utah game this year is, is hopefully the one I'll be down there for. So, uh, so uh, that's, that's a more important trip for me than the, uh, than, than the spring game. And plus it's kind of fun to watch the spring game. <laughs> game on tv you can rewind and you can check out what's yeah. going on but uh no i mean look i think w- the only thing that you can say about this that's even remotely negative is that they moved the date late right i mean that, that, having it on a thursday having it at night all that sort of stuff i think turned out to be a really good thing for the recruits they certainly had all the recruits that they wanted there there they were able to fill up the stadium with both students but then also there were plenty of alumni who were able to make it and then you have the alumni from the program who are able to make it, who are able to then, you know, a who's who of guys who are in the NFL, who've played in the NFL, who love Florida, but then are also sort of, you know, able to tell the story of how you come to Florida and end up in the National Football League. And so you combine all of those things side by side, and I think it starts to make a compelling story for, you know, the whole why not Florida and, and that sort of stuff that's been going on. Plus, you've got Napier's army. You've got and and I'll tell you the thing I actually take out of this entire spring game is that Napier, I think, is actually honest. 
you know, we've had coaches telling us the players are breaking out in spring and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, Napier came out and gave his midweek press or his, his early week press conference last week and was talking about how, um, you know, we pretty much got ones, but in the twos, it's kind of spotty. And I think we saw that. I think Napier also came out and talked a little bit about Anthony Richardson and, and was talking about how good he had looked. And I think we saw that, um, you know, he talked about needing to, eliminate stupid mistakes and penalties we saw some of those that need to be eliminated so it, it's interesting to me that uh you know i i'm hoping that the days of you know feeling like dre massey is about to break out are, are going to be gone that 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 when we hear something from the coach that it's going to be you know not necessarily telling everybody what's going on but that it has a ring of truth to it i think we saw that with dante Sanders specifically at tight end as well you know so he's singing guys praises when they actually deserve it and then that's translating onto the field at least for the spring game that's an encouraging development considering that uh you know <laughs> the running joke now for a decade for us has been the spring lies. And it turns out that yesterday we actually saw some spring truths. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, there. And look, well, I, I, look, I was, I was definitely satisfied. It was clean. Look, players looked like they knew what they were doing in these new systems for the most part. Not a lot of confusion. I looked like those guys knew what they were doing. Um, very little penalties. And after the issues last year, Florida ranking 121st in penalties, only three penalties for each side uh, there. So, um, and then a catch 22, most like most things uh, in the spring game, turnovers caused by mostly the second team defense there. Uh, but of course, you don't want to see your offense turnover, but at the same time, you want to see your defense calls turnovers. So they're the, uh, the catch 22 uh, right there. But yeah, about as nice of a first appearance as you could have uh, there for Billy Napier and his team uh, for a clean overall uh, performance, I thought. So, Will, let's get into a little bit of the details here. We'll start at quarterback. No surprise, uh, West World War start. Anthony Richardson shines. Leave no doubt that the quarterback competition uh, where that is coming out of spring. He looked calm, cool, collected, uh, just looked like he belonged uh, in, in the offense already. And, well, it was apparent, man, from the get-go. Nice zip on the ball, putting that on display all throughout the night. You saw it from the very start, and you saw it throughout the game as well. Made good decisions with the ball, not putting the ball in harm's way. 18 to 24, 207 yards, accounted for three touchdowns, two in the air, one on the ground. Will in the first half, 13 to 15, 167 yards, two touchdowns there, and two of those incompletions. The first down or the first bomb to shorter, uh, where he almost came down with it in the end zone for a touchdown. And the other, uh, a batted ball where the wide receiver had tons of room uh, to run, had the ball gotten to him there. So, Will, I went and looked just even deeper, started eight for eight. Five of those went for a first down. Another one went for a touchdown. Overall, 10 of his completions went for a first down or a touchdown. Uh, anything negative, Will, if we're going to nitpick, maybe not, you know, nothing really much down the field, not connecting down the field. I'll give a little bit of credit for the DBs being in position on a lot of those long throws. Uh, longest completion, 29 yards. And that was a catch and run by Noah Keeter. Uh, only two passes or over 20 yards, that 29-yarder, and then another 23-yarder. Uh, both to the tight ends, and the first one to Keeter, the other one to Xander. So, like I said, nitpicking there, we get to do that a, a little bit. But I thought a big performance by Richardson, and at least to me, putting that thought of a quarterback competition, which, Will, you and I didn't really think there was much of one coming in the spring. But for the thought that was out there, he put that quarterback competition, that storyline to rest. 
Yeah, I mean, there was such a huge difference. And even I went, I told, I was telling you before we came on, I went back and rewatched the game and the difference that I thought I saw between Miller and Richardson was significantly more, um, mainly because they ran pretty much the same set of plays. So you, you, there are a lot of examples where you can go back and look and say, okay, on this play, Miller did this. And on this play, Richardson did this. And in, and in every case, Richardson was getting the ball out on time and he was also getting the ball out accurately. I think maybe the most impressive throw that he made was one where he threw it to Whittemore over the middle. Might have been a second throw of the game. Had Wilcoxon in coverage, but was able to identify that the safety bailed out, was able to identify that he had one-on-one coverage with Whittemore and Wilcoxon. And then Whittemore didn't get a whole lot of separation. He stuck it right on his hands, right where Whittemore could continue to run. And it was across the middle, sort of at that intermediate depth, mm-hmm. where there have been some questions about whether Anthony Richardson is accurate at that. I think we know he can throw a deep ball. I think we know he can throw little swing passes and those sorts of things. But the question yeah, is well, going that, to be that, intermediate. That, what can he do? Yeah, and that one, uh, I'll go back. I got it pulled up right here. It was the second seven that went for 16 yards there to Whittemore. And that was uh, Whittemore, uh, kind of realized it was his first three completions went to Twitter Whittemore. Yeah, I mean, I think Whittemore looks like the number one guy. But again, even if you go back to that, his first throw of the game, um, you know, the little swing pass, but it was right on the money and allowed Whittemore run for seven or eight yards. And that was the thing. I think if you go back and look at it constantly when Richardson was in charge, they were second and two. And if you put Anthony Richardson in second and two, then you're going to score a lot of points because the defense has no idea what he's going to do at that point. And so then you go back to it. And there were two throws. They were actually misses that I thought were kind of impressive. If you go back and look at the deep throw, the shorter you mentioned, it was to the right side where he was actually less accurate last year. Right. but he looked off the safety. It was a single high safety. He looks him off and comes back to take the deep shot. There, I think the concern is that there's not a lot of separation from short or from the corner, but the ball was there. It was a good opportunity, and he threw to the right guy. The other one is – is Well, before, is, and before you go there, at least Jason, it was Jason Marshall in coverage too. So at least the, that's what we're talking about, the catch-22 there. Well, at least the DB was in coverage. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the other one that I want to point out is it was actually on their third drive. So Xavier Henderson was running a crossing route, but it was a flood concept where Richard – where if Henderson wasn't wide open or if they weren't playing a zone, he was going to cut up field. And um, and Richardson threw it to him. It was it was he threw it early. So he didn't put quite enough air under it. Henderson didn't get his head around in time to catch it, but the ball was right there. It was the right receiver. He didn't have time. Richardson didn't have time. The defensive lineman was, oh, yeah, was yep, yep. crashing down on him. And so he threw it, had a little bit too much zip. He's going to learn to take a little bit off of that as he goes. But I think guys like Xavier Henderson are going to have to learn. You better have your head on a swivel when you make that turn because the ball is going to be there and it's going to be right in your hands. But that, that pass in itself tells me something about what he's doing because he got pressured. He didn't panic. He threw it to the right guy and it was even an accurate pass. It's just the receipt. It was earlier than the receiver expected. Those are the types of things you look at in the spring and go, okay, he made an adjustment when he had someone coming at him. And a successful adjustment, even if the play wasn't successful, because you'll be able to look at the film and say, here's what the receiver should do. Here's what the quarterback should do. And the next time they get that opportunity, that's going to be a hit for a big play down the field. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there was a play later in the game. I talked about the zip on it. He zinged it in the shorter. I don't, know how, I don't even know how shorter caught the ball. I mean, it was right over the middle and it looked like it went off almost through shorter's hands up because that's how fast it was. And like you said, it may even surprise the guys how fast that ball's getting to him a little bit. Cause I was I like, 
I was impressed with the throw, but I might have been even more impressed by Shorter's catch because I was like, holy, that was a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming at Shorter right there, right over the middle. And it was a pretty nice game, too, if I can uh, – pulling it up there. I think it was Shorter's last catch there. So um, It was right after yeah. the throw to throw to Wilson, or throw to Henderson, actually, that, that I was just talking about. It was a little RPO. Okay. To, uh, it went for like 15, 16 yards over the middle uh, yeah. to Shorter. And yeah, it was impressive that Shorter caught it. But I think even more impressive is it was the wrong read. So it was an, R it was an RPO and the linebacker stopped. And he realized the linebacker stopped. And it was almost like you could see him saying, oh, crap, in his head. And realized he was going to have to throw it on a line because there were two guys there. And he has the ability to do that and, and has the confidence to do that as well. Um, that's going to burn him at some point. He's going to throw an interception there in that case because there's going to be a defender who's fast enough or or gets out of position or something like that. There, there's going to be some turnovers. I don't doubt that. Um, but a guy who's willing to let it go, a guy who's willing to release it, I think is something that, you know, to be honest, you look at the two offenses last night and the offense led by Jack Miller felt a lot like the offense led by Emory Jones last year where you could move the ball down the field, but when it actually came time to score, the ball stopped moving. And the offense with Anthony Richardson in charge felt like the exact same offense, whether they were in the red zone, whether they were midfield or whether they were backed up. And that's what we saw last year against LSU. That's what we saw last year when Richardson came in the game's first couple games of the year. Um, it's not what we saw against Georgia, obviously, but Georgia was, was a, was a pretty transcendent defense. I think that'll be the question, right? Is as defenses mm -hmm. become more exotic as it becomes less vanilla. Um, you know, there was even mentioned on the broadcast last night of Patrick Tony saying he didn't know how he was going to stay sane, not being able to throw different stuff at the, at the quarterbacks. Right. Um, they were saying that like maybe midway through the third quarter. And so, you know, they were not seeing exotic looks. But what I saw is even with, you know, sort of vanilla looks, there's clearly a quarterback who's, who's head and shoulders differentiated himself above the rest of the field. And the good news is, is that's the guy we want it to be, right? It's not like yeah. we're sitting there looking at it going, geez, the most physically gifted guy isn't the guy who's pulling ahead. It's like, no, in this case, the guy you want to win the job because he's going to put the most stress on the defense is clearly head and shoulders ahead. Yeah, and for, for Miller there before we uh, move on, Will, I thought he did some nice things those first couple of drives. He led the offense down, as you said. It did kind of sputter, led to a missed field goal. And then the next drive, through the beauty of a pass to Zipperer, when he had time all day to throw, found Zipper over the middle for a 28-yard catch and run. And then just a few plays later, throws that awful triple coverage interception uh, in the end zone there. And just right right there, it looks like it just kind of fell apart uh, for Miller after that, uh, that that interception there. And as you said, it was kind of reminiscent of what we saw last year of the you know, interceptions in the end zone uh, from one quarterback. Anthony Richardson comes in, saves the day, and, and you could tell uh, a clear difference right there. So, yeah, that, it was a kind of a continuation a little bit in some forms uh, of that. But, yeah, Miller, as I said, started out well, but then that interception just kind of turned some things there. Yeah, it, you know, it wasn't even the interception that bothers me. I mean, that was a bad throw, but you're gonna yeah, you're yeah. gonna make a bad throw every once in a while, especially you know he he's got a feel he's sort of behind a little bit and probably pressing <laughs> pressing a little bit. But um, well, even a, even AR said the same thing last year. He's like, do some of those interceptions that he threw when he had to force the ball? He's like, look, I had limited limited opportunity, limited chances. I felt like I had to go out there and make a play. Well, I mean, so, but I go back and look the first throw of the game that he made to Frazier's downfield. It was an incomplete same, same concept as what, uh, what I was talking about with Richardson when he went deep to shorter. Um, but in this case, um, Miller just basically stared him down and the safety mm -hmm. was able to get over there and break up the pass. So it doesn't turn into an interception. People look at it and go, Oh, not a big deal. Now it's second and 10, whatever. But 
you know, that ball's a touchdown if you don't look, if you don't stare it down and allow the safety to drift over there and you make a good throw. So those things become important. And Richardson seems to be doing those and Miller's not. The throw to Zipper was really nice. It was a flood concept, though, where they had a short mid long and Zipper was the mid guy. And so it's a it's a great throw, but it's a one field read or one side of the field read. And I think right. that's really where Miller is at this point. Um, and then he did. Well, that hesitation. was something the flood concepts. You know, that's the second time he's mentioned it. it was something we brought up when we went back and looked at Napier's offenses. Hey, this is a staple of the offense, and we saw it on display last night as well. And they definitely were running Napier's offense, though they did run way more eleven personnel than I thought they were going to. Yeah. You know, we've heard a lot about twelve personnel, two two tight ends, and and all those sorts of things. And it was a lot more one tight end, one back, which is kind of necessitated by the fact they don't have any tight ends. But uh, but I do think we're probably going to see some things that are a little bit different because of the personnel Florida has, and also because you're not going to want everything really tight when you have Anthony Richardson at quarterback. You'll want to spread mm. it out if you can. And so they did do a lot more 11 personnel than I expected. The, you know, going back to Miller, there were a couple of things. If you go back and look at the film, um, the, the very next throw after the throw to Zipper, he had Jordan Pouncey over the middle, just like Richardson did with Whittemore that we were talking about earlier, and he just didn't let it go. And he scrambled out of the pocket, and he, threw, right. he, he dumped it off the bow, and it gained a couple of yards but you don't get the first down. So again, instead of it being, you know, first and 10, and you've just gained 16 yards, it's second and five and you gain five yards. So you're one of one for five yards. That's okay. But it's not moving things quite as well. Same thing. The exact next throw after that, he has zipper open in the flat. He hesitates, throws it a little bit later. This was one where zipper got his legs taken out from under him. Um, and so they got a first down again. It was a six yard gain. Now two straight plays, two straight completions. You just got a first down, but you gained 11 and you probably could have gained 15 or 16 on the first one. You probably could have gained 10 on the second one. So that difference between gaining 25, 26 yards and gaining 11 yards is really the difference between the two quarterbacks. And then when you factor in the interception, which, you know, that, that was extraordinarily reminiscent of some of the interceptions that we saw last year. Um, you know, yeah. Again, I, I think Miller's going to get better. I don't think I didn't look at Miller and say, "Hey, this isn't the guy who can play in the SEC." I think his arm strength is okay. I don't think it's great. Um, I think the decision making needs some work, obviously, and then he needs to be able to just let it go. Um, if something happens to Richardson, I think he'll be serviceable. But I think you're going to see the same thing you saw last year, which is when Richardson came in the game. It's like, oh, the offense feels completely different. It feels peppy. Like the ball's getting out quick. And when it doesn't, he's able to run for a first down and make things happen with his legs and all that sort of stuff. And and then when when Emery came in the game, it was just sort of very methodical and you know doing exactly what the offense doing exactly what sort of the first read second read tells you to do and then that's it um and i think that's kind of what we saw last night and it's not bad i mean it's spring game right i mean this is one of those things where you know ar even though he's been in the offense the same amount of time as, as miller has known these receivers for an extraordinarily long amount of time, right? right? So you would expect him to have more chemistry with his receivers. You would expect him to know where they are. And to be honest, they're giving him the better receivers <laughs> when, right. you, when, when you look at the offense that he has. And so um, I, I don't think it's all on Miller. In fact, Napier even alluded to that in the broadcast that sometimes the quarterback gets more blame than he should. But there were definitive things you could look at and say there's separation between these two guys, which, again, I think is good. You don't necessarily want two guys who are sometimes good and sometimes struggling. We've seen that with the, you know, when we had Jacoby Brissett and Jeff Driscoll or when we had Treon Harris and, and, and Greer. And, you know, you, you get these guys and you're saying, okay, well, they're both doing some things well and some things poorly. I didn't see that last night. What I saw was one guy doing the 
yeoman share of things really really well and then a guy who's who's significantly behind him and so you know yeah that's a problem if you have an injury but i think it's probably good from the prospects of you'd much rather have an elite quarterback than have to worry about two guys who are going to be inconsistent all right good stuff there on the quarterback so we'll get into most of the offensive positions and more of a defense as a whole uh coming up make sure you hit that like button hit that subscribe button if you're watching on youtube really helps us out right here on gators or breakdown so well, besides the quarterback position, the biggest probably takeaway of the night, and you kind of alluded to it, you hinted at it just a little bit, that tight end position. Man, the biggest plays of the game come from the tight end position. And looking at that, you know, maybe a bit of a surprise in what Florida was dealing with, but all the injuries throughout the spring. Nick Elksness goes down. Johnson Odom goes down. Gage Wilcox transfers out of the program. And, okay, what's going to happen with the tight end position? Uh, how can they play? Uh, certain personnel where they play, where they try and fit some 12 personnel in there, 11 personnel. Well, you know, we got our answer uh, a bit there, but Richardson's longest completions went to catch and runs to Keeter and Xanders. Uh, Jack Miller's longest completion was to Keon Zipperer for 28 yards. So, real good for those guys stepping up, giving up, given all the injuries at the position. They delivered under the lights. I mean, honestly, you go back and you know, maybe even now, a pretty healthy depth chart at the tight end position. You get those guys coming in um, uh, in the fall as well. You don't have to force those freshmen out there right now with what we saw, I, I believe, Thursday night. Florida's got some options there. Xanders uh, goes five for 56. Keeter went three for 53 in a touchdown. Uh, Zipper two catches for 33 yards. I like that little uh, rollout, sneak the tight end uh, out, and that, that play worked for a touchdown. It worked for a long completion as well. With Keeter, I mean, yeah, we were worried about the depth, but you know, we know it's a we know it's a position Billy Napier covets. It's a position Billy Napier is going to use, and didn't matter if the names that we expected to be out there were not out there. Well, we saw that position deliver once again uh, in the spring game. So big, big kudos to those guys for showing up and playing. Uh, big kudos to Dante Zanders. I don't think Billy Napier can speak any more glowingly <laughs> about Dante Zanders and what he has to say about him and being able to switch from defense to, to offense in, at the beginning portions of spring, not knowing he's going to play tight end when spring ball starts and then going out there and, and performing. And, you know, good thing for uh, Pigler as well, the, the, the tight end coach. He turned some heads last year at Michigan State as a running backs coach. Not a lot of experience doing that, but ends up winning football scoop, you know, running back coach of the year. Now going to coach tight ends for the very first time. And in our very first glimpse, it is a spring game, of course, but still in our very first glimpse, tight end position producing no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant to say that that we've got depth at that position where, you know, it's not going to be a concern. I, I think it's great to see Keeter play well. It's great to see Xanders play well. I think Xanders looked a lot smoother than Keeter at the position, but, you know, Keeter's also extraordinarily helped by having Anthony Richardson there at quarterback to hold guys on the other side of the defense. The, the play that they ran for the explosive was actually really creative because they have got – you know, it, and I'm a I'm a diagram of this at some point just to make sure that that it's clear. But basically, we've heard all off season, we've talked all off season about how Patrick Tony's goal is to make sure that you've got a numbers advantage while making the offense think it doesn't. Right. So you sort of get them to go to a place or get them to throw to a place you don't, that they wouldn't normally throw because you kind of tricked them into thinking that they have a numbers advantage. Well, that's what they did when they when they when they ran. You know, the word you used, slipped Keeter out. 
into the other side is that it was very clear that they were running a zone on the side that Keeter was on. They ran him to the other side and all of a sudden there's nobody there to cover it. And it was a, it was a really cool use of that play in the in the middle of the field, as opposed to always saving it for down in the red zone where you see that a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was great, but I, I think it does come back to, we, um, we haven't seen these guys block. The running game was a little bit less impressive maybe than I would have thought it would have been um, coming into the game. And so you you combine those two things. And there's more to the tight end position than just catching the ball. It's a big part of the offense. It's something you have to do, but that'll be the question, I think. It's funny because, you know, we've had we've had Kyle Pitts here and, you know, the, the question was always blocking with him. And I think even in Napier's offenses with new guys coming in, that's going to be the question. You know, you wouldn't have thought that if, if you'd have told me before the spring that Dante Zanders was going to be the standout tight end, I'd say, Ooh, we might be in a little bit of trouble. Um, <laughs> I don't feel that way anymore, but I do think there are still questions to be answered. Yep. Well, like I said, we'll get that. And especially Odom Elkness come back as well in the fall. I think it just does provide some depth you know, that those guys come back slow or if those guys uh, get dinged or need a breather, uh, that Florida has some options there uh, at the tight end position here. So, Will, you mentioned the run game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mentioned it in the preview. If you've listened to Gators Breakdown for years, you know I'm a big explosive run guy. No big runs once again in the spring. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm concerned about it not because I didn't see it in the spring game. Uh, but you could see Montreal Johnson out there running with a purpose and, and looking like a pretty good all-around back there. Uh, between the two teams, he played for both teams, switching jerseys left and right, 15 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown. Bowman contributed 17 carries, 61 yards, only a long of nine uh, he showed some nice bursts, but, you know, look, I think we could show um, – see, they had showed some more patience back there um, running behind that line of scrimmage and hang on to the ball a little bit better there uh, for Demarcus Bowman. Uh, unfortunate, Will, that Lorenzo Lingard uh, dealing with a hamstring injury, so we didn't get to see a whole lot of him after hearing all spring about how uh, much he has been turning heads all spring and maybe even pushing for that – quote-unquote starting running back, running back one there, uh, maybe with Montreal Johnson. So, unfortunate we didn't get to see him after he uh, gets injured early on in the game. I mean, hurt, hurt so much, and I uh, wish we would have got more of a glimpse there. So, hopefully he can stay healthy and we see him more in the fall. Uh, running backs were used in the passing game a bit. Bowman had four catches. Uh, Lingard won before the injury. So, let's not those guys still be involved in the passing game. But, well, I think we know you know, this offense is still going to run the ball, run the ball a lot uh, come fall. Maybe can open it up now uh, with what we saw from Anthony Richardson. But, you know, maybe this, this offense can can be pretty balanced, uh, I believe, after what we saw Thursday night from Anthony Richardson and then again from this run game. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think um, zone blocking schemes are new, and, yep. it, and it looked like the zone blocking schemes were new. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know that, that uh, the offensive line was really, you know, I think we, we probably had a question two, three weeks ago where we were talking about, would we feel better if the defensive line dominated or the offensive line dominated in the spring game? Cause you know, you never know whether it's because one's good and the other one's bad or vice versa. Um, I'm hoping it's vice versa. That the defensive line is really good because, um, 
you know, the, the running game, there was one play, I think, where Montreal Johnson put his foot in the ground and almost scored a touchdown. It was while they were interviewing Spurrier up in the booth. Um, and the minute he put his foot in the ground, you hear, you heard, you heard, heard the head ball coach go, there he goes. Because <laughs> like, everybody could see that he was about to, about to sort of spring it. Didn't quite get there in for the touchdown, but uh, they put it in a couple plays later. But anyway, that was the only one that I can really recall where it was like that one cut and go. Those seams just weren't really there. Now, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because the seams not being there means the linebackers were filling them. And then that has been a major problem for Florida for two straight years. And so I hesitate to be all that critical about the running game. If it means that the, if it means that the linebackers are in the right spot. So, you know, that's one of the things I, you know, I went back and, and watched the game to sort of look at the quarterback separation. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at the linebackers who are out there and how they were feeling in the run game. That's one thing I'm sure we'll go back and look at because yeah. that's what I want to see. Right. I, I the fact that you don't get explosive plays in the run game says something about the running back, says something about the offensive line. But it also says something about the defense's discipline. And the question that, that we're going to have to answer, or the question that we probably want to go back and look and answer is, is the issue with the lack of explosive runs because the defense was disciplined or is it because the offense was undisciplined? And, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for that right now, but I know that the I, I wouldn't walk away from this feeling all that confident about Florida's run game thus far i think i'd walk away from it feeling much more confident than anthony richardson's going to be able to help them sort of overcome some deficiencies in that space but then this is also one of those things where you kind of figure that over the course of fall camp and over the course of the first couple of games of the year that the offensive line is really going to start to be able to sort of settle into what they're going to do because the zone schemes are different but they shouldn't be that hard to learn. And so, um, you know, I think as they get a couple, two, three, four games under their belt, we'll see some pretty steady improvement with the offensive line. Yeah, I remember Ethan White saying uh, last week in, a, in, a, in part of the press conference that he was part of, um, he prefers, and then he made it sound like the offensive line still prefers the gap scheme right now because, you know, probably not so used to, as you said, the, the zone scheme right now uh, and what Billy Napier wants to, wants to come here. Like you said, you, they have to learn attack points. They have to kind of be in sync uh, with, with the running backs. And, of course, that's hopefully going to come along uh, with more reps coming up in spring or summer, fall camp as well uh, in, in the next few months there. So, all right, um, we'll move to wide receiver. As I mentioned, kind of no big plays. Uh, longest reception, only a 19-yarder by Jamarcus Weston for the first touchdown of the game as he bounced off Kamar Will Coxon uh, as he doesn't wrap up for a tackle. Shorter showed nice hands, as, as I mentioned earlier. Frazier's making some contested catches. He had five catches for 53 yards. He was targeted 11 times. Uh, there was uh, uh, Frazier. So somebody we saw flash last year uh, and coming along, but didn't see a whole lot, Will, from you know some of the, the younger receivers that we – had kind of maybe heard flashed about uh, Dejon Reynolds, one catch for 15 yards. Uh, Marcus Burke, no um, catch there uh, in, in the spring game. I know there's been some talk rumors uh, out there, you know, maybe some transfer candidates uh, coming along uh, right there. So we'll see uh, what comes out of it right there. But, uh, you know, Jamarcus Weston, a, a name uh, last year that kind of lends an infamy from the Alabama game uh, with the kickoff uh, last year. Um, of course, uh, yeah, I believe he was back there returning kicks again. But as far as receivers go, um, he showed some nice things. That nice, as I said, gets the ball in his hands, uh, bounces off a tackle for the first touchdown of the game. So not a whole lot from the receivers. Will uh, 
we talked about separation. Maybe we want to see some more of that. But as I said, it could be a good thing for these Florida cornerbacks as well, uh, being coached up by Corey Raymond. So probably the next step in their evolution that we want to see. Uh, but still, you know, maybe maybe a group we can count on about, you know, six, seven guys there. When I know a lot of people are just kind of looking at those first three, you know, Xavier Henderson, not a whole lot. Uh, we saw it in, in the spring game uh, out there as well. So hard to Hard to know what to take away from, you know, the, the stat line uh, for as far as receivers go. But did see some nice things. I, I like the nice contested catches and, you know, not a lot of lazy drops out there uh, from the wide receiver position. Yeah, I mean, I think they're solid. I, I think we know what we're going to get from Shorter. We know what we're going to get from West or, or from uh, from Whittemore. And then the question is, where do you get that third and fourth guy, right? I yeah. mean, when you go out there with four wide, who's going to do it? Is it going to be Xavier Henderson? Is it going to be Jamarcus Weston? Is it going to be um, Jaquavian Frazier's? Frazier's had a couple of nice catches on some back shoulder throws from Miller. Yeah. That was really probably the most successful uh, – the successful play that the orange team had, especially early on was those throws to Frazier's on the outside. And look, if, if you got a big guy who can go on the outside, can run a black shoulder fade, um, you know, you're, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to use that. Right. So I don't know that it's going to be, um, I don't know that he's going to be the most gifted guy out there, but at the same time, if you can do that and he can contribute that aspect to it, then great. I, I think, you know, they're clearly missing in the slot. Um, you know, it, for sure, I, th- that is a place where you know you got you mentioned Justin Shorter catching the RPO, and that's great. But Shorter doesn't need to be the guy who's running that RPO, right? If you had a if you had a guy like Kadarius Tony running that RPO, then that ends up a touchdown rather than getting rather than getting tackled downfield because he's because he's able to shift and do those things in the middle of the field. Um, but we don't have Kadarius Tony, and that's the reality, right? Is that the previous regime recruited big, tall, wide receivers? You've got a lot of guys who are sort of carbon copies of each mm-hmm. other. And the question is going to be who can you shift inside of the slot? I know there's been some discussion of Finley Graham moving in there to the inside and then, you know, potentially even taking a, one of the running backs out there and having them do some stuff. Naquan Wright jumps to mind in terms of having him do some stuff in the slot as well. So maybe that'll be coming coming up in the fall. Transfer think, portal. <laughs> that that as well. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I, I think I Dave Wonderlick wrote a pretty good article over at Gator Country this week where he was looking at the number of guys who are gonna have to leave. It's gonna be like a mass exodus if they end up signing will, people then, from the transfer portal just because of scholarships. Yeah, and then extending that, I saw on the broadcast last night at the roster breakdown seven seniors. <laughs> I mean, so also, you know, as far as uh just how the roster breaks out. You hope some of these younger with only seven seniors, you hope you, you start seeing some of these young names develop and, and start contributing for the Gators. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the COVID year combined with the fact that the previous regime was very um, uh, generous towards some of the upperclassmen, I think means we haven't seen a lot from the lower, from the, you know, freshmen and sophomores. That doesn't mean those guys can't do it. It means we haven't seen it yet. Right. And, and Richardson's actually the obvious one, right. Where you look at it and go, how is he not playing last year? Like, how is he not the guy <laughs> who was starting last year? And so the question I have, and I think the question everybody has is, how much is that true at other positions too? Like, are yep. there guys where you look at it and say, oh, Trent Whittemore was playing. This isn't a knock on Whittemore, but Whittemore was playing because he was an upperclassman compared to X, right? And then, you know, three games into this year, we're going to go, wow. Like, how was that guy playing behind, you know, behind those other guys? And there just won't be a good explanation for it other than the previous regime valued experience and and class seniority more than other people. And maybe that's the case. Um, 
I don't know that to be true. And, and, and I don't think any of us know that to be true. I think we're hopeful that that's the case because that means there might be more talent along the way. But, um, you know, look, I, I think we've known for a while that the wide receiver position just from a roster and a numbers perspective is a little bit bare. Um, you know, it, it, it was curious to me that Jacob Copeland decided to leave maybe other reasons for that, but the fact that Copeland decides to leave when he was clearly going to be somebody who was going to get an awful lot of run, um, you know, means that the room is short. And so how do you then, um, you know, how do you take that and turn that into an advantage? Um, I, I don't know. And, you know, so a room that doesn't have a whole lot of guys in it, you're going to have to develop the guys you got. And to your point, you're going to have to bring in, um, you're going to have to bring in guys through the portal to fill those roles. And they've already done it at running back. They've already done it at right guard. Um, you know, they're going to have to do it at slot receiver and maybe even wide receiver, depending upon what Napier sees um, has, Napier has seen during spring practice and what he continues to see um, based on commitment. And then also who decides to leave, right? Because there's some yep. guys who may have gotten buried on the depth chart, even who are young, who may decide they need to go someplace else. And I think, um, you know, Napier talked about giving five scholarship guy, five scholarships to walk-ons. Well, if he's going to do that, they, they're going to have to like, they're going to be like 20 guys from the roster who end up leaving. <laughs> and uh, you know, if he brings in five, six, seven, eight transfers. And so uh, you know, who are those guys going to be? We don't know yet, but I think we get a, I think if you look at who played last night, you got a pretty good idea of, of which part of the roster to target when you look at who might not be here. Yeah. Adam Webb, I just shared that. Uh, uh, he, he put it out there. 31 freshmen, 45 sophomores, 15 juniors, seven seniors. So that was the roster breakout uh, that was put out there. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of young, young, young talent there for this Gator team. Uh, and we'll see what happens uh, with the transfer portal uh, as far as the wide receiver goes. I do think it would be a place that, as Will said, if Florida gets hit, but Florida can also get some gains at that position. Uh, well, let's move to the other side of the ball before we get off here. And look, man, defense made tackles, created turnovers. Uh, maybe not the first team defense so much as far as the turnovers go. Uh, and maybe some worry there about that first team defense starting slow uh, in the first half. But as I said, get 22, because what, what what would we be saying? Would we complain about the offense had the defense come out and, and dominated? So the catch 22 double-edged sword there uh, for a spring game. So some credit to AR and the offense there for making uh, you know, the defense get off to a slow start. I know many thought the defense might be ahead of the offense, but that was not the case uh, going there. The defense – we just didn't have you know many plays where they kept the offense from from gaining yards. The offense was able to gain yards. Uh, the offense they weren't getting explosive plays, but they were able to stay in manageable down manageable down and distance situations uh, on this Gator defense. The, the stars didn't shine too much. Brenton Cox was uh, barely noticeable on the stat sheet. Uh, had an offsides penalty as well. Uh, Jervon Dexter he got did get banged up a little. Was getting double teamed a bit, but hey, that's going to be part of the territory for him until somebody on this defensive line steps up. He's going to get double teamed. Uh, but in the second half, you know, he did turn it on, had that big, nice, what would have been a, a huge sack in a real game there. Uh, he did play better in, in the second half. But as I said, you know, he's, going to have to, he's going to have to become a little more dominant, that that star player that we're all waiting to see there. Um, but, yes, yeah, my takeaways from the, the, the first team there, hard to – Hard to complain too much with what we saw from the offense, but uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a little more balance in the first half of what you probably wanted to see. Uh, but you know, the secondary, I thought tight coverage there, not giving up any big plays. Uh, those guys tackled as well. We'll go through some young defenders uh, that I do want to point out. But for some of the the worries, some of the things that needed to be fixed from this defense, 
making tackles, creating turnovers, pretty tight coverage, in position to make some plays, pass breakups as well. Uh, that Overall, those are the things I liked about, you know, overall on the defense, but also counting that first team, even though they did struggle early on as well. Yeah, you're more encouraged to, about the defense than I am. I uh, <laughs> the the degranthaming has not been complete at this point. They are still trying to. There there were multiple times I thought where there were some miscommunications that uh, they had one play that got snapped and the the officials didn't call it. They had twelve guys on the field, one yeah, guy running. And they did off call and, and they did call one as well on that too. So there yeah, were well, a couple of times. And then there were multiple offsides penalties that helped drives where guys ran. Um, and, you know, apparently we're going to be the team that has the offensive line that doesn't move when there's when there's an unabated <laughs> quarterback. I hope they start taking some deep shots instead of throwing little uh, – Yeah, you know, yeah. Instead of throwing it out of bounds or whatever when they do that. But, look, I mean, Napier has harped on stupid mistakes, stupid mistakes, stupid mistakes all offseason. We saw some of those. Um, the offsides penalties are part of that, but the the miscommunications on defense are part of that as well. Doesn't mean that they're going to – that those things aren't going to get fixed, but I think the idea that it was going to get fixed over one camp um, was misguided. And so we saw some of the same stuff that we've seen over the last couple of years. Now, again, if you, if you turn that on its face and you go, okay, well – the defense couldn't stop anybody the last couple of years. So what should we expect from Anthony Richardson? We should expect that they can't stop Anthony Richardson. And we saw that. So that's good, right? It's good to me that the offense was able to move the ball because if the offense couldn't move the ball against the defense, I probably would have been a little bit concerned, but um, you know, it's, it's so Patrick Tony's defense relies on two things. It relies on winning one-on-one battles and it relies on, basically putting the offensive linemen in a conflict where they don't really know where guys are going to be coming from. And if Tony's defense is really clicking, you'll have like two or three offensive linemen standing around blocking nobody and two offensive linemen who are like completely overwhelmed by the number of guys who are coming their direction. He couldn't do any of that yesterday, right? Like none of the, none of the weird exotic schemes he's going to be bringing out there where he's still bringing four guys, but he's doing it in a way that confuses the offensive linemen and putting them in conflict could actually occur. And so what you had was you had a defensive line that was trying to win one-on-one battles with an offensive line and the Florida offensive line for the most part was winning in past situations for those one-on-one opportunities. Now, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, it, it's a good thing that the offensive line isn't getting bowled over, but it's a bad thing that the defense, you know, Jonathan Grenard a couple of years ago, if you gave him a one-on-one opportunity against a left tackle, he was going to win a lot. And Florida last year didn't have anybody who could win those one-on-one battles a lot. And I don't know that they do this year, or at least they haven't shown that guy yet. Brenton Cox, I think, can win it sometimes but i don't think he wins it all the time um whereas i think if you went one-on-one with john grenard a couple years ago you were going to get the sack so to me that's that's kind of the takeaway right is that i'm not sitting there looking and saying hey there's there's some guy on on the defensive line who i went wow that guy's going to make a major difference this year and make tony's job easier and so that's going to be the question as we move forward is once they get everybody lined up, once they stop with the stupid penalties and all that sort of stuff, now you can start doing some exotic things on defense. And when you do the exotic things on defense, does Tony have to be really, really, really creative in order to get victories up front? Or are you going to be able to start winning some of those one-on-one battles, especially early on? I didn't think they won a lot of those one-on-one battles and they're going to have to win some of those this year in the sec. So, um, you know, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Um, I think that's kind of what you expect. I think, you know, but we're going to have to have some young guys step up because you can't just lay it all on Gervon Dexter, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can't you can't rely on your defensive line being dominant for a defensive tackle. 
Like even if you look at even if you look at Georgia last year, like Jordan Davis um, played a lot, but he wasn't the he wasn't the reason that defense was dominant. The reason that defense was dominant was Nicobe Dean, the linebackers, and and some of the other defensive line, Quay Walker, and some of those other guys who were out there playing as well. And it's going to have to be a collective effort because you're going to have to have guys who get off, win one on one battles, and are able to make the offensive linemen feel that conflict and last night there wasn't any conflict for them to feel but also not because of the players because of the scheme but then you know when it came time to to actually win the battles those battles weren't won all that often well you talked about young players and who Florida's going to have to to uh, maybe have make some plays and look we need to point some guys out who did who did do some nice things mostly for that second team defense so hopefully you know those guys can either make their way to the starting lineup in some form or fashion or be counted on to uh, be play a lot um, when some of those guys need a breather or some guys need to come off the field. Or, as I said, just make their way. Uh, if, if you can't keep them off the field because they keep making plays, and then maybe we see them on the field a bit more. Donovan McMillan with the interception in the end zone there from um, Jack Miller in the triple coverage. I mean, one of three guys was probably going to get that one, but it was, it was Donovan McMillan there in the end zone to, to pick that ball off. Tyreek Sapp had a big night there. He, that was one of the most consistent names that you heard. Had that big force fumble as he just blew up Demarcus Bowen in the backfield, causing a turnover. As I said, Anthony Richardson uh, scores on the very next play there. So a turnover leading the point, something we want to see more uh, in the fall as well. Jordan Young showing nice pursuit and, and making open field tackles. He had six tackles of the night. Jalen Kimber, very active in coverage all night long. Two pass breakups, interception late in the game as well. Uh, and then Will, the, the more of a name that we have heard uh, throughout the spring, the, the story we heard all spring, DeJuan Black continued to flash, uh, you know, getting in that passing lane, almost picked off a pass. Uh, linebacker, of course, that instinctual position, not a whole lot of experience there for him. He is getting better. But I love what Napier said about him after the game. He said, this is a testament to Dewan Black's athleticism. Quote, even when he's a even when he's wrong a little bit, he can still make a play. So <laughs> that's about Billy Napier's uh, thoughts there on Dewan Black, who I expect you know to get a good bit of playing time uh, at that linebacker spot. So well there's some of the names that, that stand out as far as you I mean Billy Napier doesn't like to single players out a good bit. Uh, as he said when he's been asked about singling out players all throughout spring practice he said look it's a team game uh, but from Guys that we can single out, some guys who made plays in the spring game, those are the ones that, that stood out on the defensive side uh, to me. I like the pursuit. I like the tackle uh, ability of Jordan Young. We, we saw too many times these deep defensive backs – well, the whole defense, of course, in particular, but defensive backs uh, taking wrong angles, not being able to be in position to make a good tackle. Uh, and then, you know, big tackle on Zipperer. Uh, they're a player that's much bigger than him but knows how to go attack uh, a tackle like that. So there was one improvement right there that I know we wanted to see from this defense. And we, we got a glimpse of that. Young players, uh, but then the defense also as a whole uh, being able to make some of those tackles up there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned McMillan. He's one of those guys who – um, you know, we heard a lot about last year and then didn't see a whole lot of him during the regular season. You got Kimber coming in as a, as a transfer. The question is, okay, he was supposed to be a starter at Georgia last year. So that says something about his pedigree, but, you know, coming off of an injury, you know, how ready is he going to be? And, you know, look, I, I'm thrilled that one, the ball got thrown in their, in their vicinity and they were in the right spot. And mm -hmm. then also that they were able to bring down the interception, right? The only one you're talking, you talked about in terms of like dropped interception was Dewan Black, and he's not the guy who's supposed to catch the ball, right? The guys who are supposed to catch the <laughs> ball are the safeties in the corners, and they did, right? So 
the the safeties were making the plays, the corners were making the plays, they got turnovers, turned those into points. But even if you don't turn them into points, like just securing the turnovers and making sure when the ball's thrown up, because there were plenty of times when there were bad passes made. I mean, heck, I can even remember if uh, you know if Brenton Cox catches that ball against Alabama and, and Bryce Young, we're having a completely different conversation about last year on on the one where he ran his own blitz. And so, you know, making sure that you actually get that turnover had a bunch of fumbles as well. Just forcing that, you know, I know that's been an area of emphasis in terms of punching the ball out. And, you know, look, you can't punch the ball out if you're not there to tackle, right? right. You're just trying to grab onto the shoestrings. You're not going to be able to get the ball out. And so fundamentally being in the right spot and then taking the right angle and then getting there and wrapping up. And as you wrap up, trying to punch the ball out, those are all things that these guys are trying to teach. And you could see that. Um, so, you know, I, I started this off by sort of being a smart aleck and saying that the degrantheming is not complete. And I, I think that's true. It's not complete. But you can see that there are differences and you can see that there's an aggressiveness. And, you know, to be honest, the, the most welcome sight that you can see if you look at all this stuff is that the guys, when there was somebody who was sort of, held up, there was pursuit to the ball, right? The yeah. effort and the pursuit to the ball to make sure that even if somebody missed a tackle, there were other people there, I think is sort of the hallmark of a defense that's engaged and really, really excited. So, um, look, I'm excited to see what this defense can do. I think the season kind of hinges on what the defense can do. I think Florida's offense can be pretty good. They were actually, in, on a yards-per-play basis last year, were 21st, I think, against FBS opponents. And so you figure the the, the upgrade from Emory Jones to Anthony Richardson, yeah, there are probably some downgrades in the running game a little bit, but I don't think that's incredibly – I don't think that's a – I don't think it's a huge downgrade. So I expect the offense to be top 20, maybe even better next year, which means, you know, the defense, which was like 45th or 50th in yards per play is going to have to improve. I think they were like 90th the year before. So you start taking those two years and say, okay, that's where Florida needs to improve. That's where the, that's where, that's how you become a top 25 team. It's not that Anthony Richardson's going to just carry him on his back to be a top 25 team, unless they're winning a bunch of shootouts. I think the defense is going to have to get back to being what Florida defense is. And you, you could see signs and you could see glimmers of that. But like you said, it was mostly on the uh, on the second team side of the ball where you were seeing that. But that is a situation where I think the players on the second team were a little bit slower than the guys on the first team offense. And so, you know, this is the question we're really asking all offseason is <laughs> how much of this was Anthony Richardson? How much of it was the defense? And, uh, you know, how much of it was Jack Miller? How much of it was the defense? But like I said, when the ball went there, they made the play. When they had an opportunity to make the tackle, they got the ball out. Um, you know, so I, I think you can be happy with what you saw while still wondering whether which one's a mirage and which one's real. All right, there's takeaways there from the spring game from Will Miles and myself. And look, we'll we'll go rewatch it. We'll dissect it even more uh, coming up. And as we said, it's tough to take, tough to know what to take away. Uh, from everything is a controlled environment somewhat. How much can the defense blitz? You know, they didn't blitz a whole lot, but there there were some uh, there, and so we'll see how the, how hamstrung the, the the defense was. And as Will said, you know, hopefully the AR we saw uh, Thursday night in the spring game is the AR we'll see uh, coming up in the fall. So, Will, I know you guys been killing it there at Read and Reaction, man. Uh, what, what you got coming up uh, as far as you know, some maybe even more post spring coverage and. Um, what you and Nick uh, guys are doing there. What did you hit on on the uh, new episode last night right after the spring game? Uh, the episode was really just sort of our initial thoughts. Um, so if you want stuff where somebody hasn't rewatched the game and it's just sort of spouting about what they, you know, sort of stream of consciousness about what we saw, I think that was sort of, you know, the AR differential was pretty obvious. But then, um, 
you know, so, some of the other things, specifically uh, Xander's was one of the things that came up as well, right? I mean, and it's fun because you, know, you the you get to hear from Napier um, while the game's going on. That's and then they had Golden and and those those folks out there too. So it was sort of a uh, you know a Florida athletic department uh, conglomerate there on the field. So anyway, so yeah, it's just sort of a review of what, of what we had going on there. And then, uh, yeah, there's, there'll certainly be stuff up about the spring game this week on the website and, uh, and we'll have a episode of stand up and holler coming up not too long from now too. Good stuff. Good stuff there. Well, I mean, you, you and Nick, you and Nick been killing it there, uh, there. So, uh, good. I mean, really good stuff there. Well, thanks buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Glad. Yeah. Um, I was, I was with, um, David Sertiquist, uh before the spring game a little bit yesterday, and uh, the theme of you singing is uh, is still out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if 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 people want to pay me more to do it, more watches, I'm happy to do it. So we'll we'll start putting stuff on there as uh, you know we'll we'll make a Patreon content so people can there we go can, can pay put it on the Gators Breakdown Plus as well. Yeah, yeah, you can hear Will singing just a bit, just a bit. Well, th- I um, will say that that last night I sarcastically retweeted or tweeted something about um, won't back down because there oh, was yeah. that there was that Twitter controversy about uh, about uh, you know the recruits not liking it and that sort of stuff. So I tweeted something sarcastically. A bunch <laughs> of people apparently missed that first conversation because they, they were they all sure wondering. Did, man. They were all wondering why I was making fun of won't back down. I'm like guys, I just sang this like three weeks ago on my podcast. Like, so if you haven't seen that yet, you should definitely go back and check it out. Because if you want to hear me, uh, you want to hear me caterwaul, uh, won't back down. It's it's on the end of one of the stand up and holler episodes. <laughs> Recruits won't be coming on, Will. They, they just won't be coming on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I want the players, not the recruits, anyway. So we'll. Uh, there we go. <laughs> maybe Napier will come on since I sang. That'll, that's that's the goal. <laughs> um, speaking of Napier, he will be in Jacksonville uh, next Thursday. So I'll uh, get to you know talk a little bit with Billy Napier next week as he uh, does his Gator Spring uh, speaking tour. Uh, so a week after the spring game, he'll be in Jacksonville. So of course, uh, get to hit him with some some more Q and A style there. But uh, expect uh, plenty of Billy Napier coverage as he's here in Jacksonville uh, next week, right here on Gators Breakdown. So it should be a uh, should be a good time there, Will. Well, go easy on him, Dave. We know the impact that some of your questions can have on Gator coaches. Uh, we all like Napier. We want him to be around for a little while. <laughs> so you want me to? You want me to? Be, you want the first question to be why ain't there, why ain't there no commits yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the first question I want you to ask him. That'd be great. <laughs> I will not raise my hand on that one, by the way. <laughs> All right, there we go. Will Miles, find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Be sure to check him out at readandreaction.com or on YouTube at Read and Reaction as well. Everybody, thank you so much for following along all spring long right here on Gators Breakdown. Put out more and more content than ever before for spring coverage. So you guys ate it all up, and I enjoy bringing every bit of it to you. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.